There we go. Hey everybody, Larry Powell here, your host for Studio HFL, where you truly do hear from legends. And in this case today, you're gonna to hear from a legend in the making. And of course, I'm talking about Matilda Lloyd. You can see her picture there up on the screen. And I'm very fortunate to have her as my guest today. Uh, but before we get to Matilda, um, I wanna let you know a little bit about what's going on this week with Studio HFL. Of course, we've got the live interview today. And then as part of the new radio show, this Thursday night, uh, 88.7 FM, The Diamond, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Uh, this week, my guest is Ronald Rom, And that's a compilation of a couple of interviews uh, that I've done with Ronnie over you know, the last few years. And of course, spliced in with some music, mainly from Canadian brass. And uh, that's gonna be eight o'clock Thursday night. Uh, also, this coming April, uh, I've got a terrific lineup. I just posted this today. I've got uh, Eric Miyashiro, Sergei Nikaryakov, uh, Mark Gould, and Gabriel DiMartino. So it's a great lineup for April, and that whole series is going to be sponsored by Austin Custom Brass. Um, and let me put this up here real quick. Okay, my new World Trumpet Force shirt. I've uh, sold a few of these, uh, but I, I like it. It was my design. My wife put this together for me, but uh, the Vintelabis Magis just means push harder, which I think is a great uh, <laughs> a great logo uh, motto for uh, trumpet players. Uh, let's see. Chop Saver, of course, has sponsored the March series of interviews. And uh, if you want to get a discount... On ChopSaver, your next order, you can go to ChopSaver.com, use the coupon code HFL, and you can get 20% off your next order. Again, Dan Gosling, thank you for sponsoring March's live interview series. I really appreciate that. And uh, let's see. Okay, so we are going to get to Matilda here. Uh, there you are. Okay. Hey, Matilda. Hello. Well, welcome. Uh, it's nice to see you again. Uh, we've chatted just for a few minutes before this started, but an official welcome. And uh, let's see, six hours difference. It's three o'clock here in Indianapolis, Indiana, and it is uh, 9 p.m. Where? In Munich. In Munich, in Germany. That's um, that. That's over the big pond, right? I'm thinking you're British, but right? that, that guys, how you guys still refer to the Atlantic as the big pond. Yeah, yeah, we do. We say across the pond. Across the pond, right? Yeah. So, well, how have you been? I haven't seen you since uh, Miami ITG. Of course, that was July 2019. Um, and I know you've been busy, uh, maybe not during 2020 a whole lot, but you're certainly picking back up uh, as of late. Um, yeah, um, after ITG, it got really busy and I was flying all around. So I was uh, I was in Oklahoma and then I was in South Africa for a tour and I was in Germany. And, you know, things were really getting busy right up until March 2020. And then as as for everyone else, everything ground to a halt. But so. but you're back on the road now. Yeah, it's things are starting to look up. Um, sort of back towards the summer and then into the next into the next year or two you know into the next season people are beginning to sort of start booking things again people are still very tentative a lot is penciled in with you know a few question marks after it in the diary um 
So, you know, hopefully more things will be confirmed over the next few months. Um, and yeah, we can, I can get back to doing what I love, which ultimately is performing with other people for other people. <laughs> it's, it's not quite so much fun when you're just stuck in a small practice room playing to yourself all day. Right. Or creating videos for Instagram. Right. I mean, it's, it's just not the same. Yeah. And for some reason, just the recording is, you know, even just doing little things like that for Instagram, it's, it's a completely different experience and definitely nowhere near as enjoyable as, as making live, live music is just so special. I think that's what this whole period has taught us that, you know, live streams and recordings, they're a great substitute, but it's just not the same. We miss our audience for sure, but there is something about, you know, the musicians that we share the stage with, right? I mean, that's, I think, as much of what we're missing as anything else. Absolutely. Yeah, it's the collaboration and it's, you know, the the atmosphere and the vibe that you, you know, create. Um, but, you know, okay, so even as a soloist, right, it's, you're, you're up front, but there's still that, uh, you feel that collaboration with whatever orchestra you're performing with, right? Absolutely. I mean, I always say, people always say to me, like, what's your favorite, you know, ensemble to play in? You know, do you prefer playing with piano or with organ or you know, string quintet. And I always, always say it's with orchestra just because there's nothing like walking out on stage and having, you know, between 30 and 50 people behind you there as one big like team and, you know, making all that, that music together. There's nothing like it. I, I remember the first time I ever stood in front of an orchestra and all of that sound just, right, just kind of washes yeah. over you. <laughs> you yeah, know, you and get... it, it's like having a big sort of blanket behind you and you you know I, I feel very comfortable on stage with so many people there as well and and particularly with something like the trumpet if you you know grow up playing in orchestras like I did you're always being told trumpets you're too loud trumpets you need to play quieter you know you're always being put down <laughs> most of the time it's very very rarely that you get to just kind of let let it go and sing out and sort of soar over the top when when you're playing something like the Arituneon or the Weinberg or something like that with orchestra you just get to let rip and it's great well uh, the first time well I should say the only time I've heard you play live of course we're going to go back to that 2019 ITG conference in Miami and forgive me I don't recall the piece you played but it was a piccolo trumpet piece yeah so it was a piece called Coulejure Beau and it's by uh, the composer Ivan Jevtik, who is half Serbian, half French, I think. And it's a piece that I actually discovered when I entered the um, Eric Orbier International Trumpet Competition in 2017. And it was the second round piece. Um, and yeah, that that was what I had to learn it for. And I absolutely love the piece. And I was very lucky because the composer came to the competition and he really liked my interpretation of the piece, which was really great. That was really nice to hear after the second round, being one of the youngest as well in the competition, because it went up to 30. I think I was only 19 or 20 at the time. So yeah, it was really nice to, to have his sort of endorsement of my interpretation of the piece. And I think it's a really, it's a really cool piece because when people think of the piccolo trumpet, they often just associate it with, you know, the Torellis and the Martinis and the, you know, the, the little Baroque, be beautiful, but the Baroque stuff. Um, and so it was really cool to have something a bit more 
contemporary and a bit more meaty to to sink sink your teeth into and to show off the piccolo. Yeah, you know, you say that, and I'm thinking other than Alan Vizzuti, right? Some of his con compositions include piccolo trumpet. Uh, Jim Stevenson, you know, I'm thinking there's. You're right. It, most of the what we think of piccolo is associated with Maurice Andre's, you know, recordings. It's of course that's the stuff we should start on, right? And maybe we shouldn't start on, you know, the piece that you performed. But um, uh, was that with orchestra? I, I don't remember the ITG performance. Yeah, it was with um, with a string orchestra. Strings, that's right. That's yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. It was the, the Camerata or Cameristica something. Unfortunately, I can't remember the name. But so, they were great. <laughs> well, and, well, you were too. You were absolutely fabulous uh, in that performance. And I was sitting front row. I was right in front of your bell. Nice. <laughs> and, uh, of course, you know, now I wanted to get there early that day or that night for that concert because, uh, well, there was, it was chock full of so many great players, but I, of course, I'm a huge fan of Sergei. And uh, of course he came out and did at absurdium. Yeah. But <sighs> maybe I shouldn't ask this. Were you terrified to know that, oh my gosh, I'm performing right before Sergei because it would have absolutely, I, I would have crumbled if they had said, by the way, you're going to, you're, you're well, yeah, I didn't. I don't think I found out the actual order of the concert until the day of, or maybe the day before. But so, so in my head, I was just feeling, you know, when when I was asked to play in that concert, um, I was just well, super excited to come to ITG because I never had the the opportunity to come before, um, and also just really honoured to be included in the in the lineup. Um, so I think it was more. I, I was I was obviously nervous. Um, we all no, we all not it was not it was not obvious. It, it and was also, not. I'd met Sergey backstage and like over the the last couple of days, and um, also got on really really nicely with um, with Jason and Grant, who were playing the Copeland oh. in that concert, and they were there and they were really like encouraging and supportive. Um, and and Sergey was as well backstage. It was a really really nice atmosphere. Everyone was sort of. Um, once people had performed, they were waiting in the wings and listening to each other. So that was really nice. You know, that was, I've had fun at a lot of ITG conferences, but that was one of the most rewarding in the sense that we all just, we, I mean, truly, it felt like everybody was just wanting to hang and talk and share, you know, I mean, everybody, Sergey, um, Malcolm McNabb, I mean, you name it. And they were, they were camped out in the, in that, atrium right the yeah. lobby of the hotel and uh yeah i i'd love I didn't that leave the hotel for five days <laughs> <laughs> yeah like, well there was no reason to right i mean it was it was perfect uh and it was too hot outside to go outside anyways <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, it was. I think I, I managed to get to the beach i think it was the day after the conference ended and my flight was in the evening i went to the beach for like a couple of hours <laughs> yeah, yeah. um but yeah uh, it was really fun for me because you know, when you're in conservatoire and you don't, you often get sort of made fun of if you want to talk about trumpets and mouthpieces and things like that. And it, it was really fun to come to a place where it, that was just, you know, people wanted to know what mouthpiece you play on and what warm-ups you do. And it was just really fun to kind of get to talk about the, the nitty gritty trumpet nerd stuff in a situation where everyone was doing the same <laughs> well what do they talk about at conservatory solfege i mean <laughs> no 
who even knows? <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I, I just was curious. You mentioned that. I thought maybe, uh, well, you know, I wonder if string players do the same thing. You know, what kind of rosin do you use? You know, <laughs> what's your brand of E-string sort of thing? But um, so what kind of repertoire are you working on these days? Um, these days, I'm working on lots of different repertoire. I'm learning quite a lot of new pieces. I'm trying to learn some more pieces by female composers. Um, one of my kind of pledges to myself going forwards is that in all of my recital programs, so recitals with um, organ or piano, I'm going to have at least one piece by a female composer. Um, and I recently discovered uh, Jeanine Wuerf, who's a French sort of mid 20th century French composer. Mm -hmm. And she's written a lovely piece called Mobile, which I'm learning. And she's also written a, I think it's a sonatine or a sonatina. Um, so I'm learning those at the moment. They're really, really great pieces. Um, and I'm also working on the Zimmerman trumpet concerto, which is a beast. I, I'm not familiar with that. Is that a 21st century? Or a, yes. No, yeah. no, it's 20th century. Um, it's, it's called, it's subtitled, Nobody Knows the Trouble I See, and it's all based around that, that tune. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, I mean, it, you, the tune is fairly unrecognizable most of the time. You do get to 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 get get to play it at the at the end, um, but it's 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 tough. It's mm -hmm. a, there's not a lot of um, time off the face. You know that's kind of the big thing, right? I mean, we could as trumpet players, we could really play a lot of the repertoire as long as the composer gives us time to get the horn off the yeah, chops for a little a few, bit, right? Just, just a couple of bars rest is all you need. <laughs> yeah. It makes a big difference. Yeah. Um, right. To either, whew, I'm glad I made it through that, you know, or, or uh, even just to catch your breath for a second. Yeah. Um, so you had mentioned that uh, you've got some things coming up in the Netherlands and in Sweden. Uh, yes. What are you going to be performing while you're there? So I think in in so in Rotterdam, so it'll be the first time that I perform in the Netherlands, which which is really exciting, and that's uh, Haydn. And then I'm actually really looking forward to a tour in Sweden at the end of this year um, with the cam the Camerade Nordica, and I'm going to be playing the the Shostakovich Concerto Number no. One for trumpet and piano, which for the first time be my first time performing that, and it's a piece that I've been wanting to perform for years. So I'm super excited. I'm an absolute diehard Shostakovich fan, studied it at school, studied Shostakovich at uni. So I'm very excited. <laughs> uh, I got to perform that one a few years ago. And um, yeah, you know, it, it's a little bit terrifying uh, because you have to wait and you actually have to count Right. I mean, yeah. you, you should know the piece. Right. But, you know, you've got all these rests. And of course, the piano part is fantastic. It's easy to get kind of drawn in and just be like, oh, isn't this fun? Oh, no, I've got to play. <laughs> but yeah, what a great piece. Uh, of course, uh, you had mentioned uh, before we started here, too, that you have a trumpet ensemble, Solace. Yes, that's right. So I founded this trumpet ensemble probably a couple of years ago now. Um, and we've been doing a few concerts. Um, we did one at Snape Maltings in the UK uh, just before Christmas, which was we managed to sneak that one in before the next the next lockdown, um, which was really, really great. Um, and so we've got a few concerts coming up in the summer, which will be really nice. And it's yeah, so much fun just to to play with some of your best 
best friends mm -hmm. and make music together. And I think trumpet ensembles are, are underrated ensemble. Uh, I agree, but I think what's helping too is that we're getting more and more diverse repertoire out there too. Mm. So it's not all the same loud, right? Everybody voiced so closely together. There's a lot of variety showing up uh, in that. Uh, yeah. how, how many how many people in your group? So there's five of us. So four regular trumpet players, and then we've got one trombonist who plays a flugel bone, which. I'd never even heard of. It's, he, he originally started out playing the bass trumpet, but didn't have an instrument. And we were, he was borrowing our, the Royal Academy where, where we were studying at the time, he was borrowing their instrument. Mm -hmm. And then when, when, when we left, when we graduated, he was gonna try and find a bass trumpet, but they're enormously expensive. And then he came across a secondhand flugelbone, which is essentially just like a large flugelhorn mm -hmm. um, that uses a trombone mouthpiece and is an octave lower. And it's the most beautiful instrument. It makes such a lovely sound and it fits um, It fits much better actually than a bass trumpet. Well, and you know, you think I love that lower voice in there because when you support all the higher harmonics of, you know, the mezzo-soprano B flats or Cs, right? I mean, it just, it really balances it out. I think it, uh, well, I, I hate to say this, but you know, too much trumpet ensemble, it, it just, it's kind of destructive on my ears anyways, but only because it's just all that high frequency. Yeah. But uh, so have you had anything commissioned for the group or are you doing arrangements? How's We're that doing working? a lot of our own arrangements. Um, we actually haven't commissioned anything yet. I'm sure we will. But at, at the moment, we do do a lot of our own arrangements. We do play some of the sort of the sort of standard repertoire. We love playing um, the Tomasi suite for three trumpets. And we love the Brandt country pictures for four trumpets, which is great. And, you know, we play things like Gabrielli and all the kind of the classic brass ensemble pieces. Um, but yes, we, we are lucky to have some good arrangers in the group. Um, so we've done arrangements of Fauré's Pavan, um, Ravel's Piano Sonatine, which is amazing. It, it sounds so cool. Um, and we've done arrangements of some Bartok piano pieces. Mm. Um, oh, and some some Italian madrigals from the Renaissance, which is really, really lovely, five-part madrigals. Are, are you so, using uh, any period instruments on those or all written no. for modern? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of period instruments, you know, of course, uh, there's been a, I mean, it's to me, it's exploded over the last few years, the number of people using uh, or, or incorporating natural trumpet, Baroque trumpet into their performance. Have you started doing that? Um, not really. I I didn't have an opportunity, have the opportunity to even play a natural trumpet until I was doing my master's at the Royal Academy. And there it was a part of our degree. But by that point, I was already getting busier um, with concerts and things outside of of studying. So mm -hmm. I didn't really have enough time to kind of give it a proper go, unfortunately. Um, and it also just wasn't, it's that I love, I do love Baroque music, but it's not the focus of my, my focus on, of the repertoire. So it wasn't something that I carried on with. <laughs> I'll leave that to, to the pros. But I like that they made that uh, a requirement of the degree. Of the, yeah, of the I mean, it was definitely yeah. interesting. 
Um, and I, I probably could have been all right at it if I had had enough time to practice it. Mm-hmm. But I just didn't, it just wasn't my, my priority, so. Um, it, ironically, uh, the interview I just edited yesterday, and it's gonna come out this week, is Josh Cohen. Of course, Josh is, I think, one of the, he's spectacular. I, I, yeah. <laughs> and uh, his interview, I, I, of course, there's a plug for it right here, but it, as I was editing again, I'm like, oh my gosh, this was, this should be, uh, a, a master class. I mean, that's really what it was. It was more than just an interview. I and mean, he was giving history and context to all of that. And yeah, so I'll have to put that in show notes. That's a whole separate, whole separate thing. Um, so let me take a quick sponsor break here and we'll get back to the interview. Uh, of course, uh, this is sponsored by Chop Saver. So here's what Dan Gosling has to say. Chop Saver, the natural organic herbal lip care product created by professional trumpet player Dan Gosling, created especially for the unique lip care needs of wind and brass musicians. Nothing soothes, heals, and protects sore, tired, chapped lips like Chop Saver. Uh, no tingle, not greasy, just makes your chops feel normal again, especially after a hard day of playing or a little bit of interview, right? You need Chop Saver even during an interview. Uh, Chop Saver is used and endorsed by some of the greatest names in the business, including Wayne Bergeron, Tom Hooten, Michael Sachs, and as we learned last week with the ROM trio, Ron, Aaron, and Avis, even Avis, a piano player, even uses Chop Saver. Uh, Chop Saver is even recommended by dermatologists for their patients with chronic lip problems, so you know it's safe and effective, and it's a product anyone can use, musician or not. And again, uh, to receive 20% off your next order, you can go to chopsaver.com and use the code HFL. So now, back to Matilda. Uh, okay, so I, I was doing the math a few minutes ago when you said the Eric Abier trumpet competition and you said you were 19 or so at the time. That means you're still really young. I'm 25 now. Jeff. That's still really <laughs> young. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and to have such a great career already uh, underway. Uh, congratulations on all of that. Um, Thank you. At, at what point did you decide I'm going to be a soloist. So, I mean, when I was, so I, I grew up playing in orchestras mainly. That was where, when the trumpet really, I started my musical journey on the piano. My mum is a, a piano accompanist and teacher. So that was sort of my first instrument. And then the trumpet really took over when I was in my teens. And I just sort of figured out how fun it was to play in wind bands and orchestras and jazz bands and brass on so you know there were so many different things you could do with the trumpet and it was a lot a much more sociable and fun section of the orchestra <laughs> to be in the brass section um so that was really when the trumpet became my my favorite instrument and my focus and then when i was about 17 18 really when i was sort of in my last couple of years at school is when i started doing like competitions local competitions and that was when i sort of really explored the solo repertoire because I had to find all these new pieces to play in competitions. And then, you know, winning the, some of the competitions, they then gave me either concerto opportunities with the local symphony orchestra or recitals. And again, just discovering the solo repertoire so much and a lot of it very quickly. And I realized very, very quickly, really, that I loved doing the solo stuff. So, um, and then I think... I decided to go to a university rather than to a music college 
um, and I did an academic music degree. So honestly, about 80% of my degree that I did was all writing essays and doing analysis and oral skills and keyboard skills and all of this, you know, the academic music side of things. Um, and then performance was a, a small part of that. And then I sort of probably in my second year, I think I, I think I went into that degree knowing that I was going to come out of it and go and do a master's at the Royal Academy um, and then go down the solo route. Mm-hmm. Um, so probably from when I was about 20, I sort of pursued it in earnest, the solo career. Uh, what kind of challenges have you met along the way as a soloist? As a soloist, um, I mean, I would say that just being a solo trumpet player is always going to be tricky just because there aren't as many opportunities, there aren't as many slots. You know, most orchestras might have a trumpet player, I mean, every couple of years, every two, three, you know, there's just not as many opportunities out there for us. So it's always going to be more challenging to, to fill the diary and to be able to sort of support yourself financially. Um, so, you know, I love doing things like masterclasses and, you know, things like having the trumpet ensemble that can do some concerts a year and things like that. They're, they're really nice ways to to sort of make sure you've got, got enough going on. Um, mm-hmm. But in terms of other challenges, I think probably one of my biggest challenges was um, a mouthpiece change. When I was, oh, I guess it was in 2018, it would have mm-hmm. been. Um, and I changed my mouthpiece in May. And I mean, it was the best thing I've ever done. And I, I'm, you know, I'm a completely different and much better trumpet player. So what facilitated the, that? Change. Um, my, my professor at the time, and he's still my professor now, Hawken Hardenberger. <laughs> I have never I heard that a, name. Who is yeah, that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When he, when he tells you that you need to change your mouthpiece, you listen. Yeah. So, uh, and he gave me a lot of guidance on which mouthpiece to change to. Um, but that was a tough six months. Uh, really tough. What, was it an immediate switch? I'm done with this one. I'm going to, I'm going to go to this new one. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was the kind of switch where basically I'd been working with him for, I think it was about six months. Um, I'd been going over to Sweden for lessons at the same time as studying um, in London at the Royal Academy and doing all the things that we'd been doing together, everything had just got so much stronger. And I was playing previously on a Warburton mouthpiece and had been using the same mouthpiece for years and years and years. Um, And it was just one that my, I think I was probably about 13 or 14 and my teacher said, here, play this mouthpiece. And I just played that mouthpiece and that was that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it got to the point where I'd basically outgrown that mouthpiece and my lip was like slightly touching the the inside of the the cup um because warbitons have that very distinctive sort of triangular mm-hmm. shaped mm-hmm. cup um and so it was you know when i tried and tried out these new new mouthpieces it was an instant you could hear instantly the difference in the sound and the feel um but they require a lot of air these new these mouthpieces so and I lost I lost quite a few um notes off my high register which was very stressful for quite a long time (laughs) am I ever going to be able to play a top C ever again but you know when you stick with it and get there eventually and then it's so worth it 
Um, relatively the same equipment from the larger horns to the smaller? Yes. I mean, as far as the mouthpiece setup, pretty similar? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I use the same mouthpiece for C, B flat and D and E flat. Um, and then I have, mm -hmm. it's basically the same, um, the same mouthpiece, but with a cornet shank for my piccolo. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, you know, and it's funny, uh, of course, whatever works for you is not necessarily going to work for the next person. You know, I mean, there are people out there who will switch mouthpieces, you know, from one phrase to the next. You know, know. To, yeah. But, you know, I'm always thinking, well, what is the end result? Does it sound good? Then great. Right. I mean, if that's if yeah. that's what it takes to make it work. But, uh, you know, I, I remember and I'm not going to say who, but I remember working a gig with uh, with somebody who said, oh, you should be able to play everything on one mouthpiece and he was playing lead trumpet and he, and he said, yeah, you know, I should. And so he started to play Brandenburg on his B flat, large, you know, the big B flat and the same mouthpiece. And, wow. but he's like, everybody should be able to do that. I said, mm, no, <laughs> no, just, just you. I mean, you know, just <laughs> you're the only one that can do that. But uh, so how did you come by Hokan? How did you manage to get him as a, as a teacher? So I actually was on a course. It was a week long course at Snape Maltings um, with, the, with, with Oldbrook, the Britain Peers Foundation. And it was a week long course with Hawken and Colin Curry. They have their duo. They, they brought out a CD and it was basically before they had recorded the CD and they were putting together this program and they did a concert at the end of the week and then did a couple other, of other concerts in the UK um, after that. And it was a week long masterclass week i mean it was absolutely incredible so it was literally i think it was five trumpeters five percussionists hawken and colin for an entire week and we had you know group warm-ups and masterclasses, and we did trumpet ensemble things and we did pieces for trumpet and percussion and we there was a concert at the end and he very kindly gave me his email address and said come and see me in sweden so that was you know the best i mean it was the best thing ever yeah. Um, uh, so, so, and you're still studying with him. I mean, what does that look like? Is that every couple of months? Is it a weekly check-in? Yeah, so, or? I mean, I'm technically studying on a, it's, a, it's an artist diploma course at the mm -hmm. university that he teaches at in Sweden. Mm -hmm. And prior to the pandemic, I was flying out there every, well, yeah, every four to eight weeks depending um and there's a really lovely class of trumpet students there and we work, get to work with a pianist who's mm -hmm. excellent he's been i think he's been accompanying the trumpet class there for years so he knows all mm -hmm. the repertoire and it's really fun to work with a pianist with hawken it's completely different from when you're just working um alone so that's really good how do you feel like you're playing has changed since working with him is everything, it so much everything the, the, about it has changed? Is it the trumpet itself or or the musical ideas or or both? Both. I mean, I think one of one of the things that he really helped me with were were the fundamentals. Um and I I wouldn't say that I had a problem with my fundamentals before, um, but it's just his whole approach to them and he sort of has this this warm-up routine that I've incorporated into my routine now and you know he, the way that he explains things like I, before I met him I never understood why 
trumpet players did bending, for example. I never understood the point of bending. I never really understood the point of pedal notes. I just thought, you know, what what, what, is, what is this? Why do we do this? You know, but the way that he explains like why we why you do these things and the benefits of doing them, and then you incorporating that, even things like buzzing, incorporating that into the routine. It just, you know, you're aiming to build the most sort of stable, efficient way of playing. And mm -hmm. I think he's definitely helped, you know, elevate that for me mm -hmm. beyond anything else. And and also just the, the technical things of like um, articulation and, you know, sound production and things like that. And yeah, Tell me, everything, uh, getting a big, getting a big sound, a really big fat sound with lots of overtones and, you know, just really focusing on, on all of those things. I'm thinking one of the downside, uh, downsides of, practicing, especially in the pandemic, right? When we're all in these small rooms is sometimes you end up practicing and performing to, a, you know, a room where the wall is only, you know, a few feet away. It's like we forget that we should be playing in a concert hall setting yeah. or a recital hall setting. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, what a typical non-performance day is for you. For me, well, I mean, they're all non-performance days at the moment. <laughs> 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 okay, fair enough. Yeah. Well, um, so but it's it's very I th I would say it's fairly normal. Um I I wake up, I tend to do some form of movement. I I like to go for runs, um do a bit of I've been doing a bit of um sort of dumbbell workouts at home or you know go for a nice walk. I like to get outside in the morning if I can. Uh sometimes I like to do a bit of boxing, which is fun. Um I'll do that in the morning and then I tend to practice First thing after that, like after a shower and some breakfast, I make a green tea and I do my my fundamentals routine, which takes at least an hour, probably probably an hour and a half. Um, and then I'll take another break, make some more green tea. And then I tend to get try and get the bulk of my practice done in the mornings um, just because otherwise, if I leave it till the afternoon, I never as focused as I am in the mornings. I'm definitely a morning person. Um, and then in the afternoons, well, during the pandemic, I've been, um, I've been doing, doing a part-time job actually for a, uh, a book publishing company doing digital sales and marketing. So I've been doing that in the afternoons, um, and then mixing that in with more practice. Yep. So yeah, I've been keeping busy. It, it's good to have something to pay the bills at the right. moment. Well, I, I even started, I think you guys call it uh, supply teaching, uh, but I, you know, started that a month or so ago, just trying to, you know, fill yeah. some of the days until, until we get back to doing what we like to do. Uh, yeah, full -time. absolutely. And it has been really good, actually, because I have learned quite a lot of new skills, including I've been making um, video trailers for, for, for the new books. So I learned how to use Final Cut Pro and how to, you know, edit videos and stuff, which actually I think is going to be helpful with the, you know, the online presence and the websites and the social media and stuff. So Well, uh, you're already quite good at that. I mean, you know, you can't get on Instagram without seeing a post from you. I, but it, that's great. I mean, there are people out there. Christopher Bill is somebody who I think, you know, I don't know if you know who he is, the trombone player. Uh, but there are people who are just all over social media. And I'm thinking, you know, it used to be up to maybe uh, your manager would have been the one 
pre-social media who would try to get out and, you know, do PR. But yeah. now as the artist, you get to do, uh, I would say probably 99% of that yourself. Absolutely. Right? I think, I mean, you know, I, I wouldn't say I spend a huge amount of time doing it or I don't spend a huge amount of time sort of planning it or thinking about it. I know a lot, some people, you know, plan out exactly what they're going to say and they sort of do content planning and making. Um, I'm a bit more haphazard than that. It's a bit more sort of take it as it comes. But I think what people like about it, they like to see that kind of behind the scenes That's everyday it. life. They like to see, you know, I, I mean, probably... 60% of my Instagram is just, you know, practice selfies and saying, you know, this is what I've been working on today. And this is what I've been thinking about. And, you know, the, this is how I learn a new piece, or this is how I practice single tonguing, or, you know, people like to see the behind the scenes of the, the performance. Um, Andrew Hitz, you know, the host of Brass Junkies. I don't know. Have you been on Brass Junkies yet? No, I haven't. No. Uh, but, uh, Andrew, I, I interviewed Andrew uh, a couple of months ago and, but he is also, he runs the entrepreneurial musician podcast. So I had contacted him and gone through some actual consulting with him. I mean, he was consulting for me and I was asking him about social media. He goes, you know, people really want to see the face behind the brand. They don't want to, you know, like so that was an awkward thing is to think, uh oh, now I've got to put my face out, you know, and when I'm advertising the podcast. So I've I've done that and I've actually noticed a huge jump in followers. I mean, it's not huge, but for me, you know, it's pretty good. Um, so yeah, there is real value. Your public wants to see you, right? I mean you Absolutely. can't Absolutely. Yeah. They um, can't they the the public, you know, they, they want to form a connection and they want to be invested in your in your journey. So it, you know, it's nice to be able to bring, bring them along with you. Oh, that's, I like the way you said that. That's very cool. Nice way of thinking of that. Um, so uh, let's, let's go back to, uh, is it jolly old England or a merry old England? Um, so you've been living in Munich uh, since, did you say right before Brexit? Was that 2016? Yeah, November. No, as in the November, 2020, right. Just oh, before oh. the the hard Brexit deadline. Gotcha. Oh, that's right. The vote was in 2016. The vote was in, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was working on a, a British ship, a P&O ship. Uh, of course, you know, I was one of two Americans on that ship. Fun. And so all they were talking about was Brexit. And of course, <laughs> you know, I, I was learning an awful lot uh, about that at the time. But um, yeah, uh, and, and not to get into politics, but um, uh, I've got a friend who lives in Birmingham not Birmingham, but Birmingham. Mm -hmm. And uh, I talked to her recently. She was telling me about uh, how things, this is non-political, but how things have still been shut down uh, there. Are you experiencing kind of the same thing in Germany? Are you, is there a... Yes. Yeah? Yeah, it's complete. Everything is closed still. I mean, we don't even have restaurants or, you know, let alone cinemas or theaters or, you know, concerts nothing nothing going on here yet um which is a shame well i mean you can get out and run i mean and probably go, go to the, go to the grocery right but uh yeah that's yeah. about you it you have to to make an appointment if you want to go to a clothes shop or to a 
to a I don't know, hardware store or something like that. You have to you have to book a slot. Wow. Yeah, it's quite quite intense over here still. Yeah, see, I don't know how Americans would handle that. Well, yes, I I do know how we would handle it, right? And yeah, I, I'm not going to go any further on that. I've I've been pretty good about wearing my mask when I'm out. Yeah. And not doing too uh, too much, but uh, okay. So even even the re reason I wanted to go back to England was um, brass band. Did you come up in the brass band tradition? No, I didn't. Unfortunately, I I wish I had. Um, I'm from the southeast, um, and although there are some brass bands in the south and the southeast, the tradition is very much more in the north of the country. Um, so I didn't grow up playing in the brass band tradition. I did play in brass bands um, growing up. I played in a local brass band for a couple of years and then I played in one um, in London for a few years while I was still in school. Um, but no, I'm, I didn't grow up in the tradition. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, what were you doing when you started playing? Were you What kind of groups were you playing with? It was just school, school yeah, bands? Yeah, it started off with school. It was mostly my county, my county, mm -hmm. Um, mostly orchestra stuff. I was in the, the county wind band, jazz band, everything that they had, orchestra. Yeah. And, and, and who then, were you? Yeah. Sorry, and go then ahead. To, and then on to the national, I was in the National Youth Orchestra for three years. Um, so that was really great as well. Who were you listening to back then? Who was really beginning to influence and inspire you? The first trumpet players I listened to were the ones that my dad loved. So he used to listen to a lot of Arturo Sandoval and also Herb Alpert. Mm -hmm. They were the kind of two trumpeters that I grew up listening to, you know, from when I was, you know, tiny. Um, and then, I mean, Hawkins, Sergei, um, Maurice, obviously, um, Eric. Yeah, all, all the greats. <laughs> um, it Eric, I'll be, uh, he's got, a, I think, a handful of videos on YouTube, but uh, him and Ole Edvard are two that I think, uh, at least around here, you know, students don't know a whole lot about them. So I, you know, I asked them, you need to tell them, you know, go to listen to Sergey, listen to Matilda, listen to Allison, right? Uh, and teen, uh, Tina. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think those guys are they're fantastic. Yeah. I mean, just what, what great players. I, and I don't know if they ever come stateside, um, but I would love it to, you know, be able to get a opportunity to hear them live. Um, you mentioned Oklahoma earlier. So you've been to the States well in Miami, but you've been to the States a few times. Yeah, I have. Um, I've been to the States more on holiday, I think, than I have uh, with for professionally. Um, but I had a really great week in Oklahoma with the Oklahoma City Philharmonic. Mm -hmm. um, playing the Arab Union, which mm -hmm. was great. And I had the opportunity to give a couple of masterclasses at the universities, um, which was really, really great. That's probably the my favorite masterclass experiences in Oklahoma, working, mm -hmm. with, working with those guys. They were really, really great, very receptive. Um, and it was fun to work, work with them. Um, of course, I think you have an accent. You probably think I have an accent, but I'm thinking in Oklahoma, uh, did, did they have an accent? Was it something? Well, no, I guess you'd have to get down into our deep south, like Alabama. Uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't notice. Okay. But then that's probably just because <laughs> I just hear an American accent. <laughs> yeah. 
can't yeah. distinguish between the different regions so, so well. coming coming here on holiday vacation uh where did you go what 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 did you like so to do here? i've spent most of my time in california i've been to i went to la for a week and i've been up to san francisco area the bay area quite a lot because my partner worked at stanford for a year in the law faculty just like a, a year as a i think it was like a, a research assistant um mm -hmm. so whenever i came over to visit him i would stay there and we popped over to hawaii a couple of times which was awesome <laughs> popped over there's Very no such cool. thing as popping over that's still like a, a what a six hour yeah, <laughs> or so like five flight. hours yeah 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 yeah. So, but you haven't visited the Wild West. I mean, the the huge national parks. Uh, so you've you've been to the no. metropolitan areas. Basically. Yeah, I've been to I've been to Florida as well. Obviously, I, we went to we met in Miami, but I've been to West Palm Beach as well, um, and I've been up to New York. That's probably my most recently. That was I was in New York for New Year, coming into twenty twenty. So mm -hmm. very recently, um, mm -hmm. which was really fun. Do you enjoy the travel? Yeah, I love traveling. And I mean, I think that's one of the coolest things about being a soloist is that you get to go places that you otherwise would never have been. I don't think I, I probably would never have been to Oklahoma um, without without that week of concerts. And, you know, getting to go to South Africa on tour was just incredible because I was in Durban, then I was in Johannesburg and then Cape Town. So, you know, I've always, you know, South Africa is one of those places that I think everyone should go because it's so amazing, so beautiful, and there's so much history there. But it's it's a long, long way. <laughs> I think it's a 12-hour flight oh, wow. from yeah. the UK. It was a really long way. Yeah. But it's bizarre because the time zone hardly changes because it's just oh, straight, straight down. I think it's like one or two hours difference from the UK. Mm -hmm. So you travel all that way and nothing changes. It's very different from when you're going across to the US. Um, but, you know, I, I didn't have any plans to go there. Have you been holiday. to Aust Australia? Have you been out there yet? No, not yet. I would love to, definitely. I, I saw John Foster was uh, posting that, you know, they're starting to travel and perform a little bit more uh, yeah, within, within the country. Yeah, they seem to be opening up. Yeah, they, I know they've been having their, their summer festivals and things. A yeah. lot of them have been going ahead. Um, the other place I'd love to go with the trumpet is Japan. They have mm -hmm. such a great, you know, brass playing culture out there. Um, and I think that would be really fun. How many times have you uh, been looked at funny when you're practicing in an airport, right? You oh, get those strange so look. many. <laughs> <laughs> I've got some great stories of, you know, playing in airport toilets on the floor and, you know, it, it, sitting on my suitcase. <laughs> well, wait a minute. The toilet? I mean, I, you know, I'm usually sitting in the in the waiting area, but. Yeah, I tried. I, I, I always would start there, but I often get shooed away. <laughs> oh, so you were, were you using a mute, a practice mute or just playing? Yeah. Silent brass. Silent and they were still. System. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Uh, have you ever <laughs> uh, done that on, on a flight? taking your horn out and practice no, on a flight? I've, no, I've never done it actually on a flight or a train, I don't think. I've definitely done it in like train stations and airports. Yeah. Um, yeah. Quite a lot of bathrooms wherever I am, really. <laughs> they have yeah. a good acoustic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, isn't that funny? That's true. You know, I remember the first time really feeling awkward about practicing in public as far as, I think it was at a laundromat. 
you know, and you knew you're going to get some strange looks there, but after a while, you know, you realize nobody really cares. Yeah. <laughs> and so you, you just do it. And so, you know, now, and not like I fly a lot, but I usually do practice uh, or play a little bit in the airport while I'm waiting. And yes, people give you strange looks, but yeah, nobody really cares. Right. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. it's, you know, you've got nothing else to do. Yeah. So, um, so any, um, any experiences uh, that were like either ridiculous, I can't believe I'm here, uh, this is happening to me sort of thing, uh, you know, I, I don't know, forgotten luggage, uh, you forgot your horn, forgot your mouthpiece, showed up at the wrong oh, orchestra. I, have, I have a, do have a good story, which is, so the story starts with, it's a concert that Tina Ting Helseth was supposed to be playing in and she had to pull out for some reason, I'm not entirely sure why. Um, so this was five days before the concert and I got called up. It was a concert for International Women's Day up in Manchester. So they wanted a female trumpet player. Um, and I had played a piece, a different piece by the same composer. It was a female composer. I played one of her other pieces for trumpet. So she recommended me because she knew that I knew her style of writing and mm -hmm. I had to learn this concerto in five days. Um, so that in itself is quite a good story, but actually what the, the, the real funny part of the story is that I traveled up to Manchester for the rehearsal, which was, you know, a few days before the concert. So I was going back, back down to London in between. And I had taken my trumpets out of one trumpet case and put them into another case. So I had my B flat and my C with me and the piece was on C trumpet. But I have this thing where I take my B flat trumpet with me wherever I go, because if my lips, I do tend to normally warm up on the C, but if my lips for some reason aren't feeling great, I always have to have my B flat with me just to do some, some lower things and, you know, mm -hmm. really helps me. So I always take my B flat with me wherever I go. And luckily I did because in the process of transferring my trumpets from one case to the other, I didn't notice that my first valve slide had come off my C trumpet and was in the other case in London. And I didn't even know, I didn't notice this until I arrived in Manchester. I'd, you know, got the taxi from the train station to the church and I was rehearsed, I just were going to warm up in the, in the little side, side room, took my C trumpet out of the case and went, oh my god like what am i gonna do and it was a sunday morning like 10 a.m you know i didn't really know anyone in manchester i mean they do have a conservatoire so i was thinking oh my god i need to find someone who can like bring me a trumpet and the rehearsal you know the rehearsal starts in 20 minutes half an hour what am i gonna do um and then i realized that i could just take the slide off my b flat trumpet and put it on my c trumpet so i took just that little bit just the first half slide off put it on the c trumpet and all my d's were a bit flat and i just had to lift them up and it worked fine <laughs> i you know what i don't think i've ever tried to to put one slide from one trumpet to the other it's a wonder mm -hmm. it fit right i mean it's not yeah. going to happen with every every horn. well it was lucky it wasn't the other way around because if it had been oh right yeah because it because it's a because the b flat's just ever ever so slightly bigger it did fit but if it i think if it had been the other way around it wouldn't have so isn't it funny? That only happens once, right? I mean, because then probably every time you pack your case <laughs> after oh, yeah. that. You double check. You double You've check. Got all the bits attached. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I Brass quintet I was playing with, uh, I don't know, this has been maybe 15 years ago. We had a, 
an outdoor summer concert about three hours north of, of here. And we all met and carpooled up there. And this is pre-Google Drive, pre-USB, pre-PDF, right? None of the music yeah. was. And we get up there, and my tuba player says, I left my music in Indianapolis. Oh, my God. And, you know, they said they saw this vein pop out of my forehead. You know, just the, I was furious. I was. And uh, there was no way, to, again, no way to drop box. There was no way to access any of that. And he goes, you know, I'm just going to play the tuba, or play the trombone part down an octave. He goes, I think I remember most of it. But he goes, when I don't, I'll just play the trombone part down. And I, the whole performance, I'm just thinking, what a disaster this is. And we finished the performance. And, uh, of course, people were coming up. Oh, great job. You guys sounded great. And it's like they didn't know the difference. You know, yeah. I, I, I should have just relaxed and, you know. But, um, yeah, but that was the last time I ever, you know, went to a gig uh, with a quintet without taking everybody's music, an extra copy. Right. Really? I do. Actually, I do do the same with the trumpet ensemble. I tend to keep all the music. And then if someone wants to practice something, I'll take I'll scan it scan it to them and send them a digital copy just because it's just safer isn't it to have one person with all the music <laughs> right right yeah. um do you play from memory do you perform from memory i do i actually love performing from memory um it was something that i think it was something my 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 mum used to encourage me to do um particularly i just always remember her saying that you know because she, she was a pianist and, and pianists, oh, you know, they p perform everything from memory. I think it was just sort of ingrained in her from a young age that performing from memory was a good thing to do. Mm -hmm. And I found that I, I love performing from memory because just somehow taking away the physical barrier of the music stand, it really helps with that connection with the audience. And mm -hmm. it's really nice to, to not have somewhere that your eyes and body are sort of pointing towards and focusing on. And it's really nice just to be able to play out to the hall and out to yeah. the people and, and make eye contact with the audience as well. Um, but um, and obviously it really depends on the piece. You know, if I'm performing the Haydn, the Hommel, the Neruda, the Arituniën, I would never use the music for any of those. Um, and pieces like Honegger and Trada and Legend and um, quite a lot of the piccolo pieces that I would play, like the Marcello Oboe Concerto or the, the Bach Vivaldi and things like that. The Telemann, I have all of those. The Hindemith I have as well, you know, just like the sort of big, the standard mm -hmm. repertoire pieces, I would say, I've got under my fingers. And then fun encores as well, things like the Goethe Concert Etude and the sort of the Gershwin Three Preludes and, you know, the kind of fun pieces yeah. that you, you put at the end of a concert. Did I see you just posted uh, the Gedeke? Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> that was a, an old clip resurfaced. I, I think one of those, one of the kind of trumpet band or trumpet lovers pages resurfaced this old video, which was fun. I hadn't seen that for years. <laughs> uh, now I'm forgetting, was that with orchestra? Uh, no, that was with piano. Oh, with piano. That, that would be a fun piece to do with orchestra. I don't know if there's an orchestra mm. uh, accompaniment. It's, yeah. it's, it's better with piano. It's hard to get together with an, with orchestra because mm. it's crazy fast. <laughs> yeah, but what a you know I'm thinking about it. What a great encore, right? That's that's kind of a, a real crowd yeah. pleaser, like Flight of the Bumblebee, right? Fast exactly. and flashy. Yeah, right. And the ending is so cheeky. All oh. the audiences always do like a little <laughs> right. laugh at the end, which is fun. Right. 
Um, well, uh, thinking about teaching, uh, do you do any teaching? Are you even online right now? Are you working with anyone? Um, I don't have any regular students. Um, I do do masterclasses mm -hmm. um, and things like that, uh, which I really, really enjoy. I absolutely love giving masterclasses. And I recently just did a series of workshops, sort of masterclassy workshop things with uh, young musicians in the UK, which was really, really lovely and really was really fun to have like a series of them. I think we did we did three spread over five or six weeks. So that was really, really nice to kind of see the progress between. And it was, you know, we, we was more more engaging and invested in it more than than just a one off. So right. that was really I really enjoyed doing that and would love to do some more things like that. Um, but no, I don't have any regular I don't have any weekly students or anything like that. Um, of course, with the online stuff, you know, doing master classes, doing lessons, um, that's going to stick around. That's going to be here, I think, right? Even when we get yeah. back to to whatever normal is, um, that's proven that it, it works, right? I mean, of course, we're online right now. This works. Normally, when I would do interviews, uh, it was in person, right? That's how you and I met was. Yeah. Uh, um, so... Um, Wow, this has been fun. I'm, I'm looking at the time thinking uh, we've had like an hour uh, kind of Zoom by here. Uh, no pun intended with Zoom, but um, <laughs> let me uh, let me do a little, uh, another little promo here and then we'll, we'll start to wrap up. But uh, of course, uh, thanks again to Chop Saver for sponsoring uh, not just this interview with Matilda, but all of March's interviews. And uh, again, if you want to save 20% on your next ChopSaver order, you can go to ChopSaver.com and use the code HFL. And again, that'll get you 20% off. Um, this interview uh, will end up tomorrow on YouTube and will live on in perpetuity. Uh, and I'll take the audio and I'll put that on SoundCloud as well. And of course, uh, the regular uh, pre-recorded interviews, those are still going on. You can find all of those on all the podcast platforms. And while you're out there, if you can go to Apple, this is not for you, Matilda, you can do this if you want to, but uh, if you guys want to go to Apple and leave a star rating and a review, I would appreciate that. Um, you want to sign up for the newsletter, you can go to studiohfl.com and you can see dates and times for upcoming live interviews and other uh, releases there. And of course, you can uh, visit the merchandise store and get that really cool shirt uh, that I showed you earlier. So uh, again, thanks to Chop Saver uh, for the sponsorship for this. Uh, thank you, Matilda, for being here. It's uh, as, as I'm not trying to make fun of Brits, I, but I, I love that you guys say it was lovely to see you again. It was. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it, it was. It, it was lovely to see you again. And uh, I look forward to the time, whether it's an ITG or a live performance somewhere, another time where we can, uh, you know, actually shake hands and say hello to each other again. Yeah, if shake, that would be really nice. If shaking hands is ever going to become. <laughs> yeah, we can yeah. do a, we can do an elbow. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. But uh, thank you so so much for being here, and uh, thank you for inviting me back on the podcast. Yeah, glad to have you. So hang on just a second. I'm going to sign off here and. Uh, let's see. So again, everybody, thanks for being here. Oh, hang on. There was a comment here. Derek Watson. Uh, hi, Matilda. Uh, you learned so many pieces. How do you work on a new piece? Oh, can we talk about that real quick? Derek's yes, question. 
Absolutely. Um, how do I work on a new piece? Very, very slowly. I start, I would say I probably half all of the metronome markings and then gradually work my way up. So slowly and quietly um, is the way for me to, to learn, learn a new piece. And yeah, very gradually increase the speed. And then only when I'm when I'm there with the speed, do I then work in things like dynamics and accents and the tiring, the lip tiring stuff. Do, do you do a lot of listening ahead of time? I try not to actually. I, I'm part of the camp that that doesn't. I would would subconsciously copy what I what I hear. I'm I do that, you know, it, which is great as you know, being a student and when your teacher says, you know, do it like this and they play it and you can do it. That's good. That's really helpful. But it's not so helpful when you want to create your own artistic interpretations of pieces, because I would definitely subconsciously copy whatever I heard. <laughs> so I do, I obviously, I do listen to pieces sometimes at the very start of learning a piece that I don't know. So for example, with the Zimmerman, it's quite um, an outrageous piece. So I had to, I wanted to listen to that a few times just to see, and you know, follow along with the score just to see kind of how it goes. And that was before I kind of started working on it. Um, but I do like, I do think that at the start of the process, it, I personally prefer not to listen to, you know, five different recordings or, you know, any, my heroes playing it, uh, also a little intimidating, um, <laughs> but it's good to, it's good to, you know, try it out your way first. And also gives you the freedom to explore different, interpretations of the same you know of the same phrase you can try out different things and see what you like um before going okay so and so plays it like this so that's how i am going to play it you know it's interesting that you say that because of course when hawken came out with the charlier's right it was performed in ways that i thought i've never heard it phrased that way yeah and yeah, I, I, love, I love his charlier's they're great and of course i i hope he gets all the way through the book um but then you know he doesn't either because you know it means he doesn't have time to work on those anymore. But yeah, you know I could see where he, uh, where you're talking about taking that time right and just focusing on finding your own phrasing or maybe finding something you're not uh, you're not influenced that maybe I should breathe here right. I mean you start to or I'm going to shape this note this way right. You are making your own decisions along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and you might put a performance out there that is remarkable, not that it wouldn't have been otherwise, right? But it would it'd be like, wow, this is Matilda's performance. And yeah, it, become, and it becomes the, the benchmark. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you, know, you don't ever want to be a, a copy of someone else. You know, you yeah. want to have your own individual sound and style and interpretation, so. Yeah, well, you're a wonderful player. It was a joy to, to hear you play live. And uh, and you're a wonderful person, too. I, it's always nice to chat with you. Uh, so again, hang on. I'm going to uh, log off here again. Thanks uh, for watching. And um, be sure to check out studiohfl.com for uh, upcoming dates and interviews. And I'll see you later.